I'll tell you what, I am freaking tired. Um, spent the weekend in Vegas for my birthday. Uh, turned 35 on Sunday, by the way, and I'm tired. Um, never really experienced jet lag before. Um, never, never flown to the West Coast. I mean, I, I flew to Montana, um, but they were on Mountain Time, and I frequently, you know, go to Central Time. Um, but something about that extra hour on uh, true, you know, West Coast Pacific Time, and man, um, yeah, and it, it took <laughs> it took so long for my wife and I to get, uh, you know, familiar with the, the time change going over there too, not just getting back. I think the first couple of days we were asleep by like 7 PM. Um, you know, so true party animals and yeah, it was just, uh, by the third day, you know, we started to sleep in a little later, stay out a little later getting more accustomed to that time. Um, but yeah, we're there, we're there four days and that was just long enough to have an adverse effect on the way back. Um, we got back super late, like super, I guess super early Monday morning and went to work <laughs> that day. Both of us did. So only had about probably five hours of sleep or so. Um, before, you know, getting out, but man, um, super, super tired on Monday and still kind of super tired and groggy today. Um, hoping that starting to level out and tomorrow might be a more normal day. I'm, I'm going to try to beat it by just waking up super early. I think that will maybe help. Um, cause I've been staying up to like, shoot, like three, three at night. Um, and it's awful. It's terrible. So, and then, so I'm officially middle-aged, which kind of hurts. Um, 35, just, I mean, 34, you know, one thing, but 35 just feels older. It feels old. And I know there's people listening that like, you know, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, you're still, you know, relatively young and sure, you know, relatively I'm young compared to an 80 year old person, but you know, I've never been 35 before. This is the oldest I've been. So it's old to me and I don't know. I mean, um, don't really, don't really care for it so far. Uh, I liked 34, 33, 32, a lot better. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and, and see, the Vegas trip was something that I was looking forward to for a long time. Um, I mean, we, we only booked the trip in February, but I, I've been wanting to go to Vegas my whole life and, you know, love the, like the mobster, um, type movies about Vegas, you know, Bugsy Siegel. Um, and you know, it just, I'm, I'm a gambler. And I like free drinks and, you know, just everything about the city appeals to me. And so I always thought it was going to be just, I mean, the best thing ever. Um, but I really have 
strong, like a, a strong mixed opinion on that experience. Um, taking the flight and the hotel we stayed at out of it, which they were both horrible. You know, it was still a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of trip. Uh, I, I didn't, the, the city itself, um, honestly, like the skyline and stuff was a touch underwhelming. It really was. It was a touch underwhelming. I, I, I expected it to be so bright and just so many lights that it would feel like it was still daytime in the middle of the night. Uh, and I, I didn't really get that kind of feeling. Um, the the prices for everything, I always thought, was always kind of told and heard that they make things relatively cheap so that you gamble more money. And either we just kept going to the wrong places or um, it's changed because everything is I mean, stupid expensive. Not so like to me, there's a few different levels of expensive um, not considering things like inflation or, you know, quality of item, right? Just venue of where you're purchasing, you know, so you have, you know, your, your standard, you know, retail or restaurant, you know, in the town you live in, um, or I guess not town you live in, but a, you know, like a smaller town outside of a major city, right? That's going to be one of the cheapest spots that you're going to be able to go to restaurants and to be able to buy retail items. You know, that, that next step up is probably then those same types of places, but in a larger city. Then I would say the next step would be um, like a ballpark or concert or um, amusement park type prices, right? A little bit more, paying a lot more for what you could. I'd say you're probably at double a little better at that point. Um Next on the list would be the airport. Uh, you know, really high prices there, it seems. And then, but I would still put, I mean, you know, Vegas is still above that and, and above it pretty far. Uh, the first night we got there, we ate at a Nathan's hot dog restaurant thing um, inside like the food court area um, at our hotel. And assuming that was probably one of the cheaper options around, you know, we got in late. Um, still, you know, on East Coast kind of time time set and just want to get something to eat and, you know, go to the room and relax. And we each got two hot dogs that came with fries. I got a drink. I, the, the bill was over $60. $60. Four hot dogs, two like, small fries. And a fountain drink. $60. And it didn't stop there. I mean, I bought a um, bottle of Sprite at one point. It was like $5 and change. 
everything that we bought, you, you were literally, it felt like you just got slapped. Like it, it, it literally caused a reaction every time we were told what the price of something was. I, I think the best deal we had the whole time was probably at the Bellagio Buffet. It was the Friday night dinner, so like the most expensive time to get the buffet. And it was like $65 a person. Expensive, yes, but if you compare it to like local casinos around me in Indiana, for the same buffet, the same the same time frame of the week, you know, I would say that it's probably 35 to 40 bucks. So, you know, like to me, that's just, you know, a little less than double. And, um, you know, that's not, that's not too bad. And, and especially like the food in that buffet was, you know, off the charts. Some of the best food I've had in a long time. But then we went to another buffet the next day at, uh, where what the hell was that? Um, Caesars. Caesars Buffet. And for, again, just, you know, just two of us. For two of us, it was $178. I mean, $178. Almost $90 a person. Uh, I mean, so free drinks when you're playing, uh, okay, but that was kind of, you know, underwhelming too because, you know, all the drinks we got were watered down. You could tell. I mean, that there was no potency there at all. Um, but, but, I mean, I, I guess it's something. Um but yeah, I mean, just every time we turned around, just really being astonished at what the prices were. We went into a, a bar to get, um, what, two Captain and Cokes? Yeah, two Captain and Cokes was like $38. I mean, and, and, and I get it, like me being a Midwestern guy, you know, and prices for things most of the time being pretty reasonable in Indiana. Um, it's probably a greater shock for me than someone that's, you know, out living in LA or New York or, you know, somewhere where they're paying these you know, higher prices all the time for everything anyway. So Vegas might not seem as appalling as it was to me. Um, but that was something that definitely kind of turned me off to it. Uh, the gambling, during the trip was up and down, um, really started way down. And so Thursday night, Friday was all losses. Everything was a loss. Uh, there were no wins to be found, uh, for those. Uh, so I'm, I'm a slot player. Um, and you know, for those that are slot players too, you know, you have your free games and your bonuses and your features, you know, Thursday, Friday, none of that. And nothing pisses me off more than, you know, sinking 50 bucks into a slot machine and not getting a single feature the entire time I'm there. Um, 
that's kind of the, you know, adding insult to injury. I mean, if you're going to take my money, at least give me a couple of features, let me have fun watching it and thinking I have a chance. Um, don't just sit there and, you know, just straight take the money. That's no fun. Um, but yeah, Thursday, Friday, that's what it was. It, it was terrible. And, but then Saturday started to turn things around. Um, I was down a thousand bucks after Friday, uh, by close of gambling business. And then by the end of the day, Saturday, um, I'd recouped that thousand and was up 500. Um, so not, not bad at all. Quick turnaround. Um, and then Sunday I, you know, donated some more of that back, but still, um, left Vegas just about breaking even. Uh, I was pretty much a hundred dollars down, um, from where I started. So I don't think that's that bad, um, to be a hundred bucks down in your gambling funds, uh, for a trip to Vegas. Um, so again, the gambling, that was okay. They, they, ton, tons of games, tons of table games, um, tons of room too. You, no, no one casino was too overly crowded, um, which is often my complaint at like the smaller Midwestern casinos because that's the only casino for, you know, usually hundreds of miles. So um, it's getting everybody in there. So on a Friday or Saturday night, it is packed and you can't find a seat. You can't play a game that you want to play. So you're kind of playing whatever's open and usually if it's open, there's a reason it's open. Um, but in Vegas, you know, you, I, we didn't really have to wait to play anything. Um, pretty much, you know, we, anything we wanted to play always had a seat open. Um, so that was nice. Um, and then, you know, the casinos themselves, you know, very nice places designed incredibly well, really cool looking, uh, went to this like flower garden thing at the Bellagio, uh, Morgan loved it. I couldn't care less. I was, you know, that was Friday. So I was just thinking about my losses. Um, but no, it, it, but again, it, it was, it was really cool. Um, and just to see how well landscaped everything was there too, um, was kind of cool to see. Like, I'm sure, you know, guys are out there doing something every day, um, of the week to make it look like that. But you know, everything was incredibly well landscaped and manicured. And, um, so that was cool to see too. Um, another thing that really turned me off and I, I don't know, I'm going to kind of make the, the show topic about this. Um, oh, by the way, you know, Carlos, he, um, he will be with us next show, uh, because of my weekend trip that kind of threw off our recording schedule. So he'll be back next week today. It's just me. But, um, I'll tell you the, the thing that really probably pissed me off more than anything else did in Vegas. And then we're going to kind of talk about it in a practical sense, um, after that. But before we do, let's stop right here and let's check in with the team over at Weatherworks. I'm sure they might have something to say about that, uh, ridiculous rainstorm that happened in Fort Lauderdale. I believe it dropped something like what, 27 inches of rain over the course of really just, you know, seven or eight hours. Um, if you haven't seen pictures of it, haven't seen video of it, it is one of the wildest scenes you will ever see. 
Um, so definitely check that out. But let's check in with Weatherworks and see where we stand moving ahead in the mid-April. Thanks, Levi. I'm meteorologist Michael Prianti, a meteorologist at Weatherworks Consulting and a producer of the Weather Lounge podcast. Today is April 17th, 2023. Well, here's a quick recap of what we saw last week with the wild weather starting in Florida with what has been deemed a historic rainfall event, a one in 1000 year event with heavy rainfall across the Fort Lauderdale area. This started with cluster storms that moved in on Wednesday. It began to slow down to a crawl. Additional storms then popped up, and it resulted in a widespread 2 to 5 inches of rain, with over 12 inches in the greater Fort Lauderdale metro. And one area saw as much as 25 inches of rain in just 24 hours. Now, these types of events are what we call in the weather community training storms, where a storm seems to sit on top of an area for an extended period of time due to a lack of steering winds. And the result is a localized area of very heavy rainfall and flooding. And in Fort Lauderdale's case, it definitely left the flooding. Flash flooding emergencies were issued across Broward County, Florida, countless water rescues, and it even managed to shut down the local airport. Here in the Northeast, we saw our lack of rainfall on Lake Florida, which led to our weather concerns. This was in the form of brush fires, which developed up and down the Northeast. Some even threatened residential structures like the one in Manchester, New Jersey, that burned almost 4,000 acres of land. Another one in West Milford became the largest known wildfire in northern New Jersey since the early 1900s. And as for this week, it's a similar forecast with not much in the terms of rainfall, and it'll be dry and a nice warm air mass comes in midweek through Saturday. It'll get warmer, and we'll have our temperatures returning to the 70s and 80s on Thursday and Friday. Now back to you, Levi. Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, appreciate that update. Yeah, that was <laughs> what happened in Florida was absolutely wild. Um, if you have not seen footage of the flooding at the airport, I mean, it, it turned the Fort Lauderdale airport into an extension of the ocean practically uh, water there looked like it was two foot deep. I mean, it, it was incredible um, to see that for sure. So, all right. Thing that I really despise about Las Vegas. So you can't go more than 20 feet without someone approaching you. And I don't like people that much anyway. So for me, this is really annoying. It might just be like kind of casually annoying to the general person. I don't know. But to me, it's, it's incredibly bothersome. I hate it. Um, and, but the thing is though, like I, I understand it, right? Like I understand like the sales mindset, you know, you're, you're probably, you know, driving on commission and, that causes you to get aggressive, that causes you to, you know, really just put yourself out there and, and, and try to talk to as many people as you can. Um, and again, I don't mind that. What I mind is people who do not, um, people who do not like take the hints of I'm not interested. You know, if if I tell you no thanks before you even have a chance to 
you know, try telling me what you're pitching, you know, you're not even in your sales pitch and I tell you no, that is a, you know, like a direct, you know, sign from me. There's no chance I'm buying anything from you. I don't care what you're selling. You could be giving away gold and I'm not going to stop to talk to you. And that's just, you know, how it is. And, you know, my general demeanor and stuff and my general look that I have is not that, that you know, that warm or friendly anyway, most of the time. So combine you know, those two things together, like most salesmen or sales ladies, like they, they don't even, I mean, they accept that. Me telling them, hey, you know, hey, how you doing? No, thanks. And that's it. And we move on because I'm not looking to waste their time. You know, I'm a buyer that I, I actually prefer dealing with a salesperson in, I don't know, probably 50% of the time. Like there's some stuff I'd like to buy online, but there's some stuff that I would like to engage with a, you know, a human and, and, and talk to them about what I'm buying. That's, you know, part of being a 90s kid, growing up in the 90s. You know, salesmen were everywhere. I mean, you know, you look at the stores, like the electronic stores, where there'd be salesmen to tell you about the TV or to tell you about this or that. Furniture stores. It wasn't just car salesmen like it is now. And, you know, I, I so I'm someone, again, like the, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you forever, but I don't want to waste your time and allow you to stop me, waste both of our time, really, allow you to stop me, to pitch me something I know I'm not going to buy anyway. <clears throat> Again, doesn't matter how much it costs. You know, I'm, I'm not going to buy it. But in Vegas, what happens is uh, something else that kind of drives me crazy about this is like this backdoor kind of sales process that they do um, of, hey, you know, like, you know, here's my, you know, here's a CD. Here's my demo. You know, you know take it for me, and, you know, and, and help spread the word. And, but like when they, when they try to give you things, like they put it in your hand. And then, you know, like as you like, you know, grasp onto it, then they're like, hey, you know, like how about a donation for like $10? Look, I'd be more willing to, buy your CD at $10. If you told me you were selling CDs for $10, but this back door, I put something in your hand and now you owe me money. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. You know, people there selling, you know, like bracelets and all, all this crap they're giving out. And you know, they, they, they want, you know, a, a donation, you know, of, of some sort, you know, they call it, they, call it, they all call it a donation. You know, but it's 10, 20 bucks. And it's like, no, like what I, again, what you're trying to offer, I would not pay for no chance. And then there's the, cause the people selling, you know, doing that kind of stuff, you know, like they look half homeless anyway. Okay. But then you have like the mm -hmm. professional version of this, which are people who 
you know, work inside or just outside of the hotels and casinos that are working, you know, to, uh, with like resorts and timeshares and stuff like that, you know, trying to give out free shows, free meals, um, or deeply discounted, you know, meals or, um, shows. And again, so for, for me, for, for, for that right there, once again, you know, I, they, they approach you very aggressively and they, they stay on you. I mean, we have one guy like, you know, like stand in our path to prohibit us from like the way they had like the little, like the desk thing set up really made it like an entry control point, you know, to where it's like, you almost had to talk to these people and it's standing right in the way. And, you know, talking about, Hey, you know, uh, let's get you a free dinner, like a free show or something. You know, sometimes I am interested in not necessarily timeshares, but there's like vacation clubs that kind of have the same ploy of, hey, like, you know, we'll give you a really cool vacation, you know, but you have to, you know, sign up for this vacation club and like stuff like that. I'm actually halfway interested in sometimes because, you know, again, sometimes they're not that bad of deals. And if I'm getting a free trip out of it anyway, I'll listen to what you got to say for sure. And I've never actually been sold, like, you know, uh, had a sales pitch with a timeshare. But again, you know, I wouldn't mind getting half drunk and going to listen to you for an hour for, you know, a free show and a free dinner. That's fine. But tell me that up front. The, the, this backdoor, you know, stuff, I, I, I can't stand it. And then it goes back to, you know, if I've told you no once, and I tell you no twice, and it's, it's not even like a, I'm thinking about, like I'm wishy-washy, like I might come around, I might be interested in an aspect. No, there is nothing for you to like grab onto, latch onto from the first no I told you to the second. So, you know, to continue to try to engage me, you know, like I... I you know, don't even really feel bad about it. But, you know, like I went off on a couple of these guys, you know, cussed them out. Hey, get the fuck away from me. You know, what are you doing? We've told you no, you know, leave me the hell alone. And which leads me to like the, the more professional version, like the, in, in the real world of, you know, these aggressive sales tactics. You know, I, I sat through um, the uh, forum for sales the Snow Fighters had um, this past uh, past summer, and you know Neil Glatt was talking about you know strategy of needing to be told no six times throughout the course of a sales pitch before you finally back off. And to me, like like th- that seemed like a high number. Um, now, granted, you know his was kind of you know, again, kind of an in increments. Um, it wasn't a, a very matter of fact six times. Um, you know, again, it was, you know, like if you kind of reach that, you know, like six objections, they, they can't get past or, you know, like, but they have to tell you no six times before you kind of close the door on them as a prospect. And, you know, so what he's teaching, 
I'm fine with that because he's teaching it responsibly. He's not saying that you need to be annoying as hell and get told no six times in five minutes. You know, he's saying if you told no once, okay, you know, like let's try to rework this and see if, you know, maybe the original delivery was the issue. Okay, let's, you know, we, we got some more information to work with. Let's, you know, again, let's pivot and, and change directions on how we're going to approach this. You know, that is, that's smart selling. That's how salesmen should operate. But just like this stuff in Vegas, you, you do have people who really just, you know, have, have no boundaries when it comes to, or not boundaries, but I guess common sense is what it is to me. Because you got to think, I mean, sales are going to change each generation. And what may have worked to sell decision makers from a baby boomer type generation might not do the same for this next generation of decision makers. Because I know when I'm going out to buy something, or even if I'm just, you know, like passively shopping for something, you know, I'm not actively doing it, but it's like, you know, I know in the next three months or so, I'm going to try to make this purchase. And so, you know, it's kind of on my radar a little bit. If I come across a salesman working somewhere that's selling this service or this product, you know, I, I very well might take his card to deal with him when I decide it's time to buy. And chances are I'm actually going to call that person. But I don't need to be harassed or have my mind made up for me that I'm going to, you know, buy X, Y, and Z. And I'd really like to know the, the stat on how often you close after your prospect gets um, aggressively rejective towards you. Like once they start rejecting you in like an aggressive type of way, once they take it up a notch and maybe throw in an F-bomb, you know, or, or start to get louder, or their voice gets a little, you know, when, when the resistance becomes a little tougher, after that point, what is your close rate? And I'm not saying that, you know, people don't still make sales in those situations. I'm sure every salesman has a story where they, where they did have something like this, where, you know, somebody cussed them out and they still made the sale. I get it. But what is your close rate after that point? And the better question is of that close rate, are you able to um, hone in on that grouping of people who said yes and find commonalities between them? Are they of the same generation? 
the same sex? Because that would be very interesting to know. But with sales, with dealing with decision makers, we're starting to get into the, the time frame where more and more millennials are becoming decision makers. What's that mean? Well, I didn't know this until like maybe a year ago, but I'm actually a millennial, which kind of pisses me off because they're usually described as like, you know, whiny B words. And, um, I don't find myself to be that necessarily. So not too happy about that tag, but I can't change. I, I just meet the cutoff. I think it's like, what is it? It's like 86 or 85 and I'm 88. Um, but anyway, so you know, what's that mean with when the millennials are now the decision makers and they're the buyers? Well, for one, it means that the more often you're able to uh, figure out the kind of no contact uh, sell, you're going to be more successful. If you have something set up to where, you know, I can see the price, get a very strong description of the product or the service, and where I can schedule it if I need to schedule it, and I can, you know, pay for it and sign whatever I need to say. I mean, if I can do it all without having to talk to you, that's what I want to do. I think that COVID was probably not looked at as a good thing, but the the social distancing and, and, and that type of stuff, I think, was probably enjoyed most by millennials. I really do. And again, you know, a lot of the millennial crowd, you know, they they shy away from confrontation. So aggressive sales tactics may not work the way you think they will. But we need to continue to think and, and mold and change the way that we're doing things to match who's making these decisions that we care about. And the millennials are now entering into that driver's seat. And we have to do our best to appease them as they're the ones that are going to be in charge. And, you know, again, what's this mean for land or snow business? You know, are, are people able to actually order services from you online? And I don't mean that they're able to, you know, request a free quote online or that they're able to contact you online. That's, that's not the same thing. I'm saying that, you know, they, you know, put in the, the square footage of their property or the acreage of their property and, you know, you and pick the services that they want, have them build a contract. You know, hey, okay, I want 
you know, mowed 28 weeks. Um, you know, I want two prunings. I want a fall cleanup and a spring cleanup. And I want, a, you know, a, a fur package of some sort. But is your website offering them to kind of build their own package? Because that's the other thing, too. Is that if I have the opportunity to build my own package, I'm probably going to build something that's more expensive than what you would try to sell me in the first place. And I'm not going to look at the price like it's that crazy because I built the package. Just saying. But the land and snow companies that are able to, you know, build something like this for themselves and advertise that, I'm telling you, that's going to make a difference. Big time. Ease of use. Major. If your website sucks, it's a pain in the ass to navigate. I can't find what I'm looking for. I'm moving on. Everyone's got a website nowadays. That's not the bar anymore. The bar is ease of use, accessibility. You know, what all I can do on it. That is the new bar. And again, if you are in business to make money and this is what you want to do, start thinking about how to court those millennials because it's their time now. All right. That about does it for this week's episode of the industry. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Next week, Carlos will be, will be back as co-host and we will talk about whatever. We're not sure what we're going to talk about yet, but we will be back with a fresh episode next Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.